Kevin Fishbane, Bears beat writer for The Athletic. If this team's a contender in 2024, what kind of head coach is Matt Eberflus then? And is he the right head coach for that group? He might be. We'll learn more about him as the talent grows. Kevin Fishbane talking Bears. Hey, Kevin. Uh, Kevin Fishbane from The Athletic. I love your name. It's a great name. Yeah, great name. On Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Uh, yeah, one of the fun moments at the press conference. Kevin Warren introducing himself to Kevin Fishbane and vice versa. Kevin Fishbane now joins us here on The Score. You can check out his work in The Athletic. I have a subscription to The Athletic. You should get one too because Kevin is a, one of the many, many great writers that does all sorts of it. They got you working this week. This week between the Kevin Warren hiring and you doing mock drafts, there is all sorts of, of content for you over at The Athletic. Yeah, Lawrence. Uh, what off season? Am I right? Um, but it's it's uh, it's a weird it's weird, right? And, and we talked about this last week. For a team to be three and fourteen, the vibes are as positive as they've been around this team since I've covered minus twenty eighteen. I think we we there's a little revisionist history. We sometimes forget how good twenty eighteen felt up until the the double doink. Um, but in the last, since the Lovey era, this is about as as happy as thing, fans are certainly about the direction of this team. What was this week like, and what was it like being in the room at the introduction of Kevin Warren? You know, Lawrence, I thought about being in that auditorium, and I thought, okay, we were here for Mark Tressman, first time head coach. We were here for Ryan Pace, a first time general manager. We were here for Matt Nagy, a first time head coach. Ryan Pate, or excuse me, Ryan Poles, a first-time general manager. Matt Eberflus, a first-time head coach. And every time we have those press conferences in that room, then we go talk to Ted Phillips and George McCaskey. They're in that room or somewhere else in Hallis Hall. And then you had Kevin Warren, who just comes in with this, you know, confidence and the way he just owned the room. You're kind of mesmerized because you haven't seen that in that room from this organization. Uh, you haven't seen somebody... Uh, with that kind of gravitas, if you will, um, who knows what he's doing, is qualified to be there. Um, And and again, that's not to slight those people I just said, the people I just named. It's just a different atmosphere when you're kind of all, we're all kind of like, whoa, like this guy knows what he's doing. And then, you you know, I'm sure antennas were up all over the building because he's going to talk to every person. He's going to go through every department. And he's going to try to make sure this thing is run efficiently. So I was very impressed by him. Um, I'm not surprised when you look at his resume and what he's done. Um, He's suited for the job. And it was just, as I said, it's just a a real change from what we're used to hearing from people who are the, the voice of that team. I know that you brought this up and you talked about it last week with us. But I wanted to dig a little deeper into the experience that the the Bears beat reporters got with U.S. Bank Stadium and you guys getting an opportunity to see it. Because I know that when we, we kind of look at SoFi as the gold standard, but there have been some issues with SoFi because of the open air aspect of it. It sometimes gets a little too hot in there and lately has gotten a little too wet in there uh, for, for it to be a you know an indoor-outdoor stadium. So I'm curious – when you got the tour of U.S. Bank Stadium, what were the things that were on your list of interest to try and find out about that place, looking forward to whatever the Bears might do? 
Yeah, so I'll, I'll list kind of three things that stood out. One, which wasn't really part of the tour necessarily, but the outside, right? It is a, it's a unique looking building. Um, you know, they, they have it kind of built like a Viking ship. You can't miss the thing. It, it's unlike any other stadium in sports. And they, they, they really wanted it to reflect the city, reflect, you know, what this team, you know, the mascot and all those things with the team and, uh, and the legacies in that state. So, like, that was, I mean, you look at it now, it's really impressive. And what's interesting, too, Lawrence, is Kevin Warren, um, we had a little small group setting. He talked about kind of that money shot when NBC brings that camera in for Sunday Night Football. And, you know, we always see for Soldier Field the, the skyline view. When they build something in Arlington Heights, what's that shot going to be? And and I think the McCaskey family is probably the type of people who might prefer a more um, like like what Allegiant Stadium looks like in Vegas. It, it it it's beautiful. Don't get me wrong, but it just looks like a stadium from the outside. There's nothing kind of special unique about it, right? I like that the Vikings have that. So that'd be the one thing. The second thing is you walk in and the light, the natural light that comes in. From the roof and the window, the, the big windows on the side, it's it's unlike anything else in, in football. The way that you feel like you're outside, you get that sense that you're outside with being inside. And then they brought us to some of the suites at the field level. And that's where the money is made, right? That's where you're convincing people. Now, like, I go to a football game as a fan. I want to be up kind of high because I want to be able to see everything. But yeah, I understand people love the idea of being right there in the field. And they also did this really cool thing, Lawrence. They were they commissioned a bunch of art um, from local artists in Minnesota. So you're walking through these hallways and you see these beautiful paintings. Nothing to do with football necessarily. Just really gorgeous art. It was all part of them, like the civic pride they had. So those are kind of the three things that I remember really stood out. And and it is num- without a doubt my favorite stadium in the NFL. And I love that wow. we get to go there. Yeah, I love that we get to go there every year. And I'm not saying that just because of the omelet station before the game. Well, omelet station does play a role. I mean, you can't <laughs> beat that, that's for sure. I, I We had the conversation. After you guys were done, Kevin Warren was on with, with Dan and I, and we were talking with him, and I thought it was interesting that, that when we were talking to him about U.S. Bank Stadium, and he had mentioned it a little bit with you guys, he kept talking about the fan experience. And obviously, like you want to make sure that you get fans on board with any type of project of this magnitude, but I thought it was interesting how that part of the building is really important to him. That, sure, you can build a beautiful stadium, but if your fans aren't having a good time, if they don't want to be there, then it doesn't matter how beautiful it is. Yeah, he told us his thing. He calls it the 5 to 105. Did he mention that phrase? No, with you guys? Or 5 to 105. Okay. 5 to 105. He wants the 5-year-old and the 105-year-old to both have – a great experience at their stadium. That was kind of the, the the range she gave us to say, like, we want kids to enjoy themselves. We want the old people to enjoy themselves. So that was a, a, something that he told us afterwards. And, you know, it's it's tough, Lawrence, with these football stadiums because, look, what they build in Arlington Heights is probably going to be beautiful. It's probably going to be really hard to get a ticket. And, and I think that's going to be a big challenge for the Bears is they're going to want it to be a place that anybody can get to, but that's just not the reality. So how do you kind of make that happen? How do you, and how do you build that fan experience? I think it's so important. You know, look, I, I, I went to a Bears game as a fan one time in my entire life. Um, and that would have been 2005. Okay. Um, and, and I've walked around the stadium a lot, obviously. I know a lot of people go to the stadium regularly 
and and I, it's not it's not a very enjoyable place. It's just not like it's hard to get to, you know, and you know it's the, hard to kind of get around. Yeah, once you're I had, in it too. Like I, I've been going to that stadium now every week for ten seasons, and I'm very grateful for that opportunity. But I had a friend who was in town. He said, "Hey, you know, I'm at the game. Here's my seats. Can you come say hi before the game? I'm here a little early." I like could not figure out how to get there. And there's different <laughs> ramps and different stairwells, and I'm like, "Wait a second! I should know my way around here." So it's just, you know, it's time to move on. I mean, it's it's to think that 2003. It's already old. And, and there were a bunch of stadiums built around that time um, that are just, you know, some of them are fine. Some of them, some bunch were renovated around then too. All had kind of similar styles. But now it's the new era. Now it's SoFi. It's US Bank. It's Allegiant. Um, even the new Meadowlands is going to need upgrades. Um, I mean, I remember going to Santa Clara. Um, I don't remember if you were there for the first that Bears 49ers game in 2014, um, which was you know, the, the Kyle Fuller game. Uh, and that was the first game, first regular season game at that stadium. And I remember we we walked in there thinking, oh my god, this place is beautiful. But now that thing has dropped down. It's like you know what it is, Lawrence. It's like quarterback contracts, right? Yep. The next one is going to be the biggest one. So I, I, I'm I think Bears fans should be excited about the fact that this guy who told us he's a stadium nerd is now going to be in charge of whatever this project is in Arlington Heights. You're more in the know than I am. You're at Hallis Hall. People tell you stuff. That's why we have you here on the air. Was When I saw Kevin Warren was interested in the job, I was like, there's really nobody whose candidacy is going to be better. Like, looking at the resume, I'm like, I can't imagine uh, anyone that would be better. Dan kind of flippantly said the only people that he would accept over Kevin Warren would be Theo Epstein or Barack Obama. Did you hear any names that made you go, well, maybe this person would also be good for this? Or was Kevin Warren the slam dunk hire? Uh, Kevin Warren was a slam dunk hire. Um, you know, I know we had reported at The Athletic that, that Colin Faulkner was one of the ones who interviewed. And I think everybody knows, um, certainly your listeners know what, what he's done for the Cubs and, and his experience and certainly qualifications are there um but for kevin warren's the nfl experience and, and some of the names i heard i mean it was a really um i can't say some of the names lawrence but like there was for a sure there was a very wide net this was not just sports executives this was not just people who have been high up in front offices in sports i mean they really were looking at a lot of different people obviously with connections to sports but just we're in the business world. We're in the, you know, so it was just, it was a very eclectic group. So I credit George McCaskey for that. Um, but yes, based on the few names that I had heard, and then when Kevin Warren came up, it was just kind of like, yeah, no brainer. I mean, the, there, the, there was nobody that had the resume that he had. We have to all, also state this, like, this doesn't mean that they're going to start winning Super Bowls or that the stadium's going to be perfect. You know, obviously that. I had somebody tweeted me today. They go, man, I got really excited for Khalil Mack, and look how that went. I got really excited for this. And I want, I always say this, Lawrence, I want Bears fans to be excited about whatever they want to be excited about. You want to build a statue for Justin Fields, build a statue for Justin Fields. You know, I'll give you my analysis of him, but I'm not going to tell you not to build that statue. If you want to think Kevin Warren is going to be, is going to be the guy that leads this team to consistent greatness, I, there, right now, we have no reason to think that he's not going to be good at the job he is qualified for. Um, so, yeah, so based on a few of the names that I had heard, 
um, he, he certainly fit the bill as the guy. Now that you're already steeped in in the draft, what teams are you watching to see if it offers any inkling of who's going to maybe be a trade partner for the Bears? Yeah, so this is we're setting up for another wild quarterback carousel, aren't we? You know, seems it, that way to me. It looks like Lamar is staying in Baltimore. Um, we have to play the Rodgers game again. Like, got to play the Brady game now. Got to play the Brady game. I mean, it's, it's every year with those two at this point. Um, you know, there are there are going to be a bunch of veteran quarterbacks that are available. What's Matthew Stafford doing? I know he said he's coming back, but what what are the Rams doing? I think that the Colts are the team because, you know, they they did the Phillip Rivers thing, they did the Carson Wentz thing, they did the Matt Ryan thing. So don't you think that they have to go draft a quarterback? Yes, desperately. So, and, 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 and the ball, I mean, we're going to talk about this for the next three months, but it, Ballard and Poles work together. Ballard and Eberflus work together. Ballard used to work for the Bears. There's just so many connections there. Ballard has motivation to get ahead of the Houston Texans, the division rival. If he's worried, they're going to take the quarterback. So, um, you know, that's the team that I'm, I'm kind of focused in on because it's always funny the way that, you know, it's different in the NBA, right? Free agency comes first in the draft. So we'll see this quarterback carousel spin and then come, you know, mid-March, we'll have a better sense of, okay, who is 100% going to draft a quarterback? I still think when that carousel is done spinning, the Texans and Colts will still be there as the teams that need the quarterback of the future. And that's kind of, if you're the Bears, what you're hoping for. Now you just have to convince them to trade up. And you got to play, you got to play some games like the teams did in 2017, right? Because yes. I've always been of the belief, Lawrence, that the Bears didn't trade to two because they thought the 49ers were drafting Mr. Trubisky. I've always been of the belief the Bears traded two because they got some, what they felt pretty comfortable about was somebody else was going to trade into that spot. And, and we talk about revisionist history. There were a lot of teams that felt really good about Mitch Trubisky that, that year. And, and so I know John Lynch made it seem like it was the biggest fleece of all time because he was never going to take a quarterback. But I, don't, I, don't, I still don't think that the 49ers were who Ryan Pace was afraid of. So kind of keep that in mind as we get closer to this. Like, Can the Bears kind of convince somebody that, that, hey, if you want your guy, you better take this because I, Houston might do this. And, and you know, that's going to be – those are going to be some interesting conversations these GMs have over the next couple months. And truth be told, he probably should have taken Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> and, and could, you, could you imagine – what that offense looks like with that quarterback. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and I mean, Mahomes was, would have been the other, well, he wasn't the other guy. I believe he was number two on the list. Uh-huh. But uh, yeah, you know, it's funny too, Lawrence, the uproar for Trubisky. I think a lot of those people were proved to be right. There would have been an uproar about training up for Patrick Mahomes. Like I agree in, with that. I in agree that be, moment, in that yes. moment, and I and I would have been probably been like, well, wait a second, guys, let, like let's just because he went to Texas Tech does not mean he's not going to make it. Like there's all these qualities, but it, you know we get, and this is something for everyone to remember as we get close to this draft. Every team's got their own draft board. It's not the same as Dane Brugler, or Mike Holly. Right. It's not the same as Daniel Jeremiah or Mel Kuyper or Todd McShay or all these you know great and uh, Jordan Reed over the years. These people do great work and they talk to high up people to help build their their boards but every team's got somebody different so we could be sitting here talking jalen carter will anderson or bryce young you know will levis cj stroud there's going to be that wild card that comes in 
Um, and, and Patrick Holmes would have been like that kind of wild card that year if you took him at number two. Big win for the Blue Demons this week. How fun was that? It was a lot of fun. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I was at the Loyola game, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, this was fun, too. I Look, you know how it is. You've been a fan your whole life. We keep looking for, is this when they turn the corner? And every time we turn the corner, we get punched in our face. So, Yeah, you know what? I'm just happy that our guy, Zach Zayman, got a great call. And, Me too. and got an opportunity to have a, a, a great a great win there. And look, I, I I don't know how you feel. I like Stubblefield so far. I you know they had the they had the dual camera where you watch him working the sideline. He doesn't slow down. Um, it's so hard, Lawrence. It's just it, this this program. Like, I mean, these guys are all they've been fun to watch, but it's not homegrown talent anymore. It's not yeah, like it's... you know. And, and and I understand that that's college sports. I don't have a problem with it. It's just it's tough when you're. You know, when you turn on the, every year, it's a new DePaul season. You got to have your roster next to you as you're watching the game. You better have it because that's how they're going to have to work to try and get better uh, until some people decide, like in 98, that there's going to be a bunch of locals that decide to come play for the team. And who knows if that'll even happen again. Kevin, have a wonderful weekend. Thanks so much for hanging out with me today. Thank you, Lawrence. Take care. That is Kevin Colby Jones will trigger in. Oh, there it Along is. Along the far sideline in the front court. Holds the ball chest high. Throws a pass to Nunji. Knocked away by Murphy. Nunji picks up, throws it up. Shot. No good. Demons pull off the upset. They knock off the eighth-ranked Savior Musketeers. 73-72. to The first time DePaul has knocked off a top-10 team since January of 2020. What a night for DePaul. What a night indeed. Zach with a great call. We really appreciate him. He's so good. Um, Shout out to our friend Steven Nelson, by the way, friend of the show. Just found out that he's going to be a part of the Dodgers broadcast. So, man, like our people are out here doing really well, and we like that for sure. Want to take a break. So Dan and I had gone through some of the, the stuff that Rick Spielman had said with Mully and Hall in his interview on yesterday's show. Well, I went back over the interview, and there's more stuff that I wanted. And I like getting sound from people who have been in these rooms so you can get a better idea of how they think. You do not, if you're a football fan, if you want to know the inner workings of football teams, you do not want to miss the next segment. I promise you it'll be worth your time. We'll do that next. It's Bernstein and Holmes here on The Score. Bernstein and Holmes, middays 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score score, 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 and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. Brittany's second pick in the 2017 NFL Draft, the Chicago Bears select Mitchell Trubisky. Whoa! Hello! And goodbye. Thanks so much for hanging out here with me. Dan had some stuff that he had to do this afternoon, and he was like, do you mind if I leave? And I was like, no, I don't care. Because when I said, do you mind if I go do the show from Arizona for a week? He was like, no, I don't care. So I'm here with you until Parkins and Spiegel. I'm Lawrence Holmes. This is the Bernstein at Home show. Uh, we have had a, a – I've enjoyed so much the football conversations that have happened on the show this week. Like, it's been – I love it. Like we've we've talked about the big picture stuff with the Bears. 
and we've talked about the the granular stuff when it comes to the possibility of trades and the draft and it's fun plus this is going to be a great weekend of football i'm i'm a proponent of the schedule for the divisional round and championship sunday i'm i'm one of the championship sunday is my favorite we, weekend on the calendar for the nfl i just love the the start times because when you have noon start times you you're rushing in the morning on sunday like you may have been out late or you got church or service and all of this stuff and then you're rushing to get back in front of the tv the way that it sets up this weekend and next weekend where the first games aren't starting into this weekend it's 3 30 and two o'clock on Saturday and Sunday, and then usually it's two o five and five thirty five for a championship Sunday. Man, that is living. That's the way that it's supposed to supposed to look. Rick Spielman, who used to be the GM of the Vikings, was on with Mully and Haw. I implore you, as a football fan, to go back and listen to the entire interview. It was spectacular. And Dan and I went through a couple of pieces of it that we found interesting as a show. Then I went back over it, and there's a couple more pieces that I thought that you would find interesting. So let's start here. You heard the the, the Mitchell Trubisky drafting. This is what Rick said is the difficulty in deciding on the right quarterback. I think people try, and, and I'll be the first to admit, I made some mistakes drafting quarterbacks. Uh, because you you have to have one. And sometimes where teams make mistakes or is that you see one thing and you've done all this tape work on film and you have an initial grade on them, then we go through all this pre-draft process, the psychological testing, the medical scores. You go probably to the pro day workout or if you have a private workout with the quarterback. And that will push especially that position up some if they're very impressive through that pre-draft process. What I've learned over the years is we always, once we had our initial grade on them, uh, what we saw them just as football players before we got all the other information that we needed, uh, that we would keep them in that same range on that board because we weren't going to let a workout affect our judgment Mm -hmm. or, you know, uh, anything else. So we would manipulate in that area of the board but we would not say, okay, we have them in the third round, we're going to move them up to the first round. Or we have them in the first round, we're going to move them down into the fourth round. You kind of set your board, and then you start manipulating it, and if you want to call it massaging it, or I will call it weaving, uh, weaving it together as you get all the other information that comes in. I think that's a pretty sensible way to go about it. One of my biggest complaints when we talk about the draft process with quarterbacks in particular is how deeply in love front offices fall in after there are pro days or private workouts and you start to the stuff starts to leak oh my god did you did you see what happened and at Zach Wilson's pro day like I'll never I'll never not be mad at that for those of you who don't know Zach Wilson had a pro day and did this thing where he takes a snap, he reverses out, and then he throws a ball 50 yards. Routes on air, the receiver catches it because there's no defender and there's no pass rush. And, oh, my God, look at the athleticism. Look at all of this. Justin Fields 
did that in the national semifinal against Clemson. Like, (laughs) the way that people disregarded the game tape. Now, I get there are some people who the game tape doesn't tell the whole story, although Patrick Mahomes was putting up a lot of points down there in Lubbock. But the way that people couldn't wait to make that, oh, well, obviously that guy's going to go second in the draft. Why? Did you even go and look at the competition that he played that season? Because it wasn't great. It was a cobbled-together COVID schedule that allowed him to have his best life. And it, it just bugs me to no end that there are still front offices that are like that. Like that. But here's the best part. The Bears are going to be able to take advantage of that this year. Because there's going to be at least one and probably multiple front offices that are going to fall in love with a guy. And the Bears are going to be able to go, if you'd like to have that guy, here's my price. Another thing that Rick said that I thought was fascinating, and this is getting into the mind of a GM, like how they think. This is what he said about looking at the level of dedication when he's trying to to scout a prospect. We tried to tackle that with the type of psychological testing that we did because, you know, you, you always are maybe your red flag or your awareness goes up when all of a sudden the guy is underachieving to his physical ability and all of a sudden the last year of his contract or his senior year, then he just balls out for some reason. Now, some of it's because of development. You know, I remember Joe Burrow didn't play as well uh, the year before he came out. Then when he came out, you know, he ended up being a, as good of a quarterback as you can get coming out of the draft. Uh, but those are the things that you try to delve into with your, resor- with your sources that you talk to, uh, with actually how you interview the player. Uh, I actually had special operations forces come in that do that for a living, that I don't want to say interrogating, but trying to get the rehearsed answers that you're going to get from these players to really dive down deep and figure out what makes these players tick or why do they love football and and try to come up with those answers. Because every guy that I missed on uh, wasn't because of its physical talent. It was because when we looked at it, we put a U uh, right next to their uh, number grade, so we knew that he was an underachiever for where he should be playing, and that was a red flag for us. So that's when we'd start diving into those guys and the psychological testing and the interviews and things like that to determine whether this guy really, really wanted to, to love football or he doesn't love football. They definitely had those players interrogated by Special Forces people. I mean, come on. You don't bring those people in. Rick was out here waterboarding people. There, I've said it. Because that's what he was doing. But yeah, like you want to try and figure out who are the best players and are they motivated. I know that there are a lot of people that look at Jalen Carter and be like, man, you know, in the, the, the semifinal, he looked like he was gassed and he even admitted that he was. But I like that he admitted it and then said he spent the time leading up to the national championship game working on his wind. That says something to me. Like That says, hey, I didn't feel like I was doing my best. Maybe I was a little embarrassed. 
and I wanted to make sure that in the national championship game that I wouldn't be embarrassed. Um, and not not that they necessarily needed him because they won by, I think, 100 touchdowns, but you get the point that I'm trying to make. Fascinating stuff from Rick Spielman. I'm, I'm telling you, if you've got time this weekend, take the 15 minutes and listen to the podcast of that entire interview. You will 100% enjoy it because I know that you're football crazy. When we come back, we're going to let someone make fun of Chicago neighborhoods and their inhabitants. That's next. It's Bernstein and Holmes here on The Score. Bernstein and Holmes. Middays 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score in Odyssey Station. Chicago! I probably spend too much time on Instagram looking at reels, but a lot of them are very funny. Like, there's a... There's a reel of two kangaroos fighting that very much reminds me of the last like physical altercation that my brother and I had. Is that the one where the one kangaroo flies through the fence, yep. falls down the hill? Yeah. Yeah, and then the other one's like, "Oh man, <laughs> I didn't mean to do that." Uh, it's very much like the last physical altercation that my brother and I had uh, when he was 21 and I was 16. So that stuff like that makes me laugh. Like you come across stuff and obviously like there'll be an algorithm that puts some of the stuff in. I learned last night that in Fast and Furious 6 when um Tyrese says to the Rock, hey, "Hide your baby oil." And then he was like, "Hide your, that forehead." Uh that that was an ad-lib line, ad-lib line, and those two guys spent a lot of time not liking each other. Um so, you know, you come across some stuff. This is from, let me make sure I get this right, Secret Chicago is the name of the account. And if you are someone that likes to stereotype Chicago by neighborhoods, then you might enjoy this. What your Chicago neighborhood says about you, part two. If you're in Wicker Park, it's because you're too cool and edgy for Lincoln Park, but you're still rich. You came to Logan Square to run away from all the yuppies in Wicker Park. And then you turned into the yuppies from Wicker Park. So why is there a Target here now? If you're in Little Italy, it's either because you are at UIC, or you're a very large Italian family that owns an entire city block in this neighborhood. Hyde Park. This neighborhood makes me feel intellectually inferior, just like in general. The West Loop people, you are making far too much money for the age you are. And you never leave the West Loop because why would you with Restaurant Row? If you live in the Loop, are you like, okay? So yes, that is from Secret Chicago. There's more, but I, that that pretty much nails a lot of it. And as a Hyde Park resident, I can attest to sometimes feeling like, wait, am I the dumbest person in this room? Because, you know. University of Chicago and a lot of politicos and all sorts of other stuff live there. You go, huh, I am the dumbest person in this room. Hey, not to change the subject quickly, Lawrence, but we got some breaking news. Jeff Passan reports that all-star second baseman Luis Arise is going to the Miami Marlins in exchange for right-hander Pablo Lopez. So the Twins and Marlins making a deal. I mean, that's good to get Arise up out of here. Right. Because doesn't he hit like 400 against the White Sox or something stupid? Uh, okay. 
I kind of thought that he was part of their long-term offensive plans, though. Me too. He's one of the more unique bats in the league, given what you just said. You know, he's putting the ball in play better than anybody in the league. So, yeah, we'll see the return. But their their rotation is getting better, the Twins. So, Yeah, but you got an everyday guy that gets on, the, on base all the time. It's interesting. Uh, that's something that next week we will dig deep into. We need to take a timeout. I'm going to talk with Parkinson Spiegel next here on The Score.